side window was broken out. So she decided to improvise, or somebody did it for her, and they used cellophane tape to fabricate a window so that rain would stay out and you could kind of see through it. There's a reason why that's against the law, because you can only kind of see through it. And that was the mistake, because as she turned, on, turned left onto 702, heading westward, she didn't see the truck that was going 55 miles per hour, and that ended her life and her child's life. And it's tragic, and it's a horrible way to begin a message. Good grief, preacher, what are you doing? But there are some of us that also, we have things that are not working quite right in our lives, and instead of getting them straightened out the way God would have us straighten them out, we've kind of come up with our own solution. And we're not seeing things the way God wants us to see it, and i got to tell you, that's been me too many times. I hope God's Word will speak to us today and help us in that. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for listening to us when we talk to you. Forgive us when we fail to bring things to you that we should. Forgive us when we try to patch things up our own way. And forgive us when we veer off the path that you have us on. Forgive us when you've equipped us and you've given us the tools that we need to accomplish your tasks. And we let them become dull. Lord, there are some of us here in this room, we've, we've been talking to you a lot lately. Asking you, what are we supposed to do? There's, there's some of us in the middle of this prayer right now. There's some of us that even wonder if you listen. I know you do, Lord. Would you please answer some of those prayers even this morning? Would you speak to us through your word? Move us by your spirit and motivate us to live in a way that's pleasing to you. There are some of us here that are distracted. Sometimes it's our family members that we love. Sometimes it's work. Sometimes it's just other things and this bogs our minds down and it prevents us from getting what you have for us. Lord, could you remove those things at least for a moment so we can see more clearly before tragedy hits in our own spiritual lives? Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. My grandfather, he was, uh, he was a mentor to me. I really enjoyed being around my grandfather. He was a mentor to a lot of people, but he was my grandfather. That was very special to me. My grandfather um, was very skilled at doing a lot of things. He, could, he made his own bullets. He made his own bait. Uh, he grew his own earthworms for fishing. He raised all kinds of animals and garden. He did all, lots of things your grandfather probably did too. Maybe you do. But he was very skilled at sharpening knives. And when my uncle gave me a, a tiny pocket knife called a little squirrel, super small knife, and I was a, a small boy, it was a locking pocket knife. It was my first pocket knife. My mother was not real happy because she thought I was too young for a pocket knife. But I was given the pocket knife, and my parents decided we're going to take him to my grandfather's house, and he's going to show him how to sharpen a knife and how to be careful and all that. So I was not allowed to open it up and handle it. 
My grandfather was going to give me direction, and I got some alone time with my grandfather. It was just us. Everybody else was gone. My grandfather spent some time sharpening the knife, and if you know much about knife blades, this was a single-edge blade. So it's just like a razor. It comes sharp, but he sharpened it more. And when he was done sharpening it, he held it up to his thumb and he touched the blade with his thumb, with his calloused thumbs, because he's a hard-working man. He touched it and he goes, yeah, goes, don't you ever do that. <laughs> he had a speech, you know, but that was the way he ended it. And he closed the pocket knife and he handed it to me and I took it and I ran off in a corner of another room, opened it up, and guess what the first thing was that I did? Cussed it with my little non-calloused thumb and it sliced it really big. It was bleeding quite a bit. And I ran in there to him very quickly, and there he was with an open Band-Aid. <laughs> he knew. He knew. And our Father knows. He knows. So we've been through a couple of messages, and I'm, I'm very honored to get to preach here and serve with, alongside you in this way. The series we're in is No Bad Days, Attitude is a Choice. The first message was about repenting. You can see the titles of the message up behind me, Reshaping My Mind, re Refining My Listening, and then today, Regaining My Cutting Edge, Learning from Elisha. Now, if you missed those messages, they are on the church Facebook page, they're on Spotify, and you can find them other places, so you can back up and get what you didn't get. But Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That is true. But you're not going to do a whole lot of sharpening if you've gotten dull. Matthew, I'm sorry, let me go to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 32. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. That bass drop you heard was on purpose. <clears throat> I want to take you to Jesus' speech in the, you know, the, the Beatitudes? We're not going to do that, but right on the heels of the Beatitudes, he launches into this, and I want you to listen. I know you've heard it before. You, this is Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. That's a cool thing about that. Uh, salt is special. Now, we live in a world where we've been inundated for quite some time now. We've been told that even if you don't have hypertension, high blood pressure, then you should still cut back on salt. So, Salt is like the enemy of the world, but if you read actual medical journals, you'll learn that a lot of us are actually depleted with salt, and we need it. It's actually part of our electrolytes we have to have. And some of us need to reduce our sodium, but not all of us do, and many of us don't have enough. But I do know you know this. Some of you men have gotten in trouble because you've, uh, you've made the mistake after you married early on. You said something like, that doesn't taste as good as my mother's. Don't do that. Young men, if you're hearing this, don't ever do that. Can't do that. But there are, there are people that live in households these days that have 
no salt on the table and they don't put salt in their food and you've got the most bland food you could ever put in your mouth. You taste it, it's like you just want to chase it with water or something that tastes good really fast because it's bland. But as soon as you get the opportunity to add a little salt to it, like, whoa, that's a new world. That's so good. That's all it was missing. Have you noticed there are some things that if you just put a little bit of salt, boom, there you go. That's what it needed. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? A little salt goes a long way. I mean, some of us, we can't stand caramel or caramel, however you say it. I know we were all raised different ways. But some of us love that salted caramel. I mean, it's crazy what salt can do to things. Just make you just fall in love with something you wouldn't normally like when it comes to flavor. And Christians, we are supposed to be the people who spice up the world. We're supposed to be the people that when other people have a conversation with us, when we enter the room and, and they get to converse with us, all of a sudden, they're, they're loving it. They're loving being around you because you spice up their life. That's the way we're supposed to be. Like it was dull before, but now that I know that person, whoa, life is good. You, you know them? That's because they get to see Jesus in us, and that's what they're drawn to. It continues a little bit further here. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. <clears throat> in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I want to back up, though, and underline this behind me. See where it says again, you're... The salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Salt that doesn't salt is not worth its salt. <laughs> Just throw it out. It's, it's worthless to be thrown on the ground. If you lose what you had that God gave you, then you've lost your pizzazz. You've lost your influence. You've lost the tools that God gave you. And you need those tools. Don't, they don't need to be dull. They don't need to lose their spice. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Even in the book of Revelation, and I know some of you are going through a study in this. This is kind of cool. Talking about the church in Ephesus, probably the most significant church of that time. It was large. I mean, several apostles ended up in that church. Mary, the mother of Jesus, ended up in that church. That's a pretty cool church, you'd think. But this is what it says in Revelation about this particular church. Revelation 2, 2. I know your deeds, or I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. That's good. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. And it continues. It goes on to talk about the consequences of not repenting. But what, what do we need to do is we need to wrap our heads around this because these words were written for us to take and apply them to ourselves. So we should self-evaluate and ask the question, have I lost what I once had? Now let's go ahead and peel that back a little bit. Have I 
Do, can I remember a time when I was so on fire? I was on that mountaintop experience. I was going to change the world. I was going to do so many things. Everybody was going to know about this Jesus that I learned about. I'm so loving it. I know that I'm saved and other people need to know this. You remember that mountaintop experience? Why is that a memory? Because the devil got in there and he distracted us. Maybe we thought that we got a shot of reality and okay, so you can't change the world. No, not everybody's going to get excited about your faith. Everybody's got different opinions. Whatever it is that you bought into that, that said, hey, lose your enthusiasm about Jesus. Whatever came in there and did that, it dulled your tools. You had that enthusiasm. You had that mountaintop experience, but you came down because that's exactly where the devil wanted you to be. Do you think Jesus was pleased with you when you were on that mountaintop experience? Oh, yeah. So hopefully today's scriptures will help us to get back to where we once were and become more influential like we once were and more enthusiastic about Jesus like we're all supposed to be. No bad days. We are right at the part rediscovering, I'm sorry, regaining my cutting edge. And I want to take you into 2 Kings, and I want to take you on a little bit of a journey. I'm just kind of, the scriptures won't be up behind you for these. You'll have to look them up yourself. But I'm going to just go right along in my Bible right in front of you. So after we left last week uh, talking about Elijah, you remember Elijah was very afraid, this bold preacher who seemed like he couldn't be afraid of anything, but then he suddenly got afraid. And God, in a very small voice, spoke to him, but we didn't talk about what he told him. Elijah had to listen carefully, because God had a plan, and God's plan included sending Elijah to go meet another prophet, another prophet of God. Elisha. So Elijah does what God says to him in this still small voice, and he goes and he finds Elisha, and he calls Elisha to him, and Elisha becomes um, in training. <laughs> Elijah trains Elisha to become greater as a prophet of God, and he leaves everything to do this. We pick up in 2 Kings chapter 2 with some of Elisha. We're only going to pick up with a little bit of it, but I wanted you to get a snapshot because this is, this is crazy stuff. And I want to ask you a piece of trivia. I don't have my fancy, you know, Pastor Jeff's trivia thing going on. I just want to ask you something. <clears throat> How many times in the Bible does God miraculously divide the water so that a human or humans could go across to the other side. You may want to take a shot. There's two. Two is not it. Four is the right answer. So those four times, we know the big one. Moses, you know, the Red Sea. That's a big one. Another one is when, if you'll remember, when they, the people of God are finally, after all that wandering... They get to go into the promised land, and they cross the Jordan River. And, and you've got to understand this. There's, there is a reason. God is so wise. 
when the people rumbled against him, they had just seen the Red Sea opened up. They had just seen this happen themselves. They watched it as a great miracle. And then they rumbled against God and said, well, we can't, we can't have that land that God said you can have. Like, you're, are you forgetting? He's the one that created you. He's the one that divided the water. You just saw that. Well, here they are at the Jordan River, and, and the, ark, the priests go in with the ark, and the Jordan River opens up, and they go into the promised land. After 40 years of wandering, you know God's reminding them, I've done this before. Remember, I know you're facing big people, and you're going to fight the battle of Jericho. It might be scary, but I've got this. So water divided. He's got a point. That's two times. Another time is going to happen right here in 2 Kings. And so is the fourth time. Look at this. So in 2 Kings chapter 2, what happens is Elijah and Elisha, what happens is it looks like, it looks like this. It looks like Elijah is trying to leave Elisha. He's already got him trained and everything. But everybody knows. And Elisha keeps being told by some of the others Hey, do you know that uh, your uh, mentor is going to be taken from you today? And, and Elijah's like, stop saying that. Don't talk. Be quiet. This happens three times where Elijah tries to leave Elisha, and Elijah's like, no, no, no. So he gets to go, and he follows Elijah, and Elijah winds up at the Jordan River, Again, you know, the Jordan River that's been divided already as they went into the Promised Land. So they go over to the Jordan River, and Elijah takes off his cloak, he rolls it up, and he hits the water and divides, and they both go across. That's the third time. And as they go across, and then chariots of fire divide Elisha from Elijah and Elijah. But before this happens, by the way, Elijah says, is there anything I can do for you, Elisha? And Elisha says, yeah, I want double what you got. So uh, Elijah says, okay. And then chariots of fire, and Elijah's taken up, and he, his cloak falls from him as he's taken up to heaven. And Elisha grabs his cloak, and he throws it on the water. Or he doesn't say he throws it on the water. He just grabs his cloak, is what the Scripture says. But then the water divides. That's the fourth time. And he goes across. That's a cool little story, isn't it? But then, don't you want to know what happens to Elisha who gets double what Elijah got? Look at this. It continues to, it tells us a little bit about this. And we're not going to go real far into it because I got a place to land so we can learn how to regain our cutting edge. But we'll move right along in 2 Kings. I got to fast forward. Chapter... We'll go to, got to decide what I'm going to do for you here. We'll go into chapter 3. There's a lot of cool things that happen, and we don't have a whole lot of time to go over all the details. That's why I'm deciding on the fly what we're going to talk about. Now let's go ahead and move on to chapter 4. There's a lady that's really poor. She ends up uh, she's very, very afraid. She can't afford to pay her bills now. Her husband's dead, and she's just trying to make it, and she can't make it. And Elisha makes a miracle happen where oil just keeps on coming. Uh, they, borrow, they have to borrow containers from neighbors, and they fill up all these oil containers. He says, you take, that, take this, fill it up, and sell 
to people and you can take care of yourself. That's a miracle. There's other miracles that happen. <clears throat> he, uh, <laughs> I don't want to say this too lightly, but he raises somebody from the dead. That's big. That's in chapter 4 as well. In chapter 5, he heals a person of his leprosy, which is pretty cool. <clears throat> and I want to go ahead and move into chapter 6. So we got the, the picture that Elisha is capable of doing all kinds of miraculous things by the power and grace of God. So let's go ahead and land in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 1, where we can learn to regain our cutting edge. And while we land there, I want to tell you something. I have been, if you're one who's, when you were just a minute ago, you heard me talking about lose, getting dull, You've been at a high place, and then you went down. And maybe you feel like you're th that. Sometimes some of us feel like we're, we, just can't get, we just can't make things work. Things are not flying right for us. We keep messing everything up. I don't know if you ever felt like that. But there was one particular time in my life where I thought everything was going great. I thought I was just doing everything right. I had become a, a preacher. My first, I was filling in as a preacher, became a preacher at this church, uh, by, incidentally, but by the power and providence of God. I'm preaching for this church. I was a youth minister, and a kid who was in my youth group, who ends up being a youth minister and served under me twice as a youth minister, he came to visit. And I was so excited about that. We took him out to eat afterwards, and Stephanie and I were there, and I said, I said hey, so you hadn't heard me preach since I was a youth minister, and I was thinking, I'm, I must be doing a lot better, because I've been working at it. So I said to him, how do you, how do you think I did? He goes, you don't, you don't want to know. What? What do you mean I don't want to know? I want to know. And he said, well, why, why did you, why do you babyfy everything you say? What? Yeah, you, when, you talk, when you talk to people one-on-one, -on -one, you seem very confident about your faith. But when you're preaching, you, you, you actually preach in a higher pitch voice. Your voice pitch changes. And you, you make it like it's suggestions, like maybe kind of you ought to do this, please. No, I don't. He goes, record yourself. And I recorded myself. And I did. And I was trying to figure out what's going on. And, and it wasn't until later that I, I started to realize what was happening. Why was I weakening my preaching? What was happening? And I, it came to me very clearly when I saw what happened. When I was in church camp as a kid, I was... I had gotten best camper every year. I went there. My mother sent me there like it was a reform school. Maybe this will straighten Jeff out. But I got to tell you this, and Dan will appreciate this. I was dropped off. I knew nobody at this camp. I didn't know any adults. I didn't know any kids. I was dropped off at the Christian church, church camp. And as I got dropped off there, I didn't know what to do. They started talking about, hey, you can get a bunch of points if you memorize scripture. You can do all this. And I thought, whoa, I got to memorize scripture. No. And uh, you're going to be in this class tomorrow morning, you go here, and when you hear the bells ring, you hear the dinner bell, your lunch bell, your breakfast, and you come to the cafeteria. It's a big, big church camp. Army barracks was converted into this church camp. And the armpit of America, many of you know about uh, southern Louisiana. That's where this was, in DeRitter. So down there, uh, when I heard all this, when I got up the next morning, I went to breakfast and then the first, it was time for the first class. And you know what that young boy, me, you know what I did? I went and hid in the woods. 
And I did this. I'd come out for meals, and I would hide in the woods. I'd sleep in my bunk, but for three days I got away with it. And a, a man who was very keen <laughs> caught me, and he uh, said, what's wrong? What are you, what are you afraid of? And I said, I, I can't memorize scripture. There's no way I could do that. He said, well, let me help you. So he helped me, and then I started memorizing scripture, and I started thinking, I can do this. So I started memorizing more and more, kept on doing it, and I got them all done. They had a big list. I got them all done. Like, yeah, I can do this. I got a competitive nature, so that's what I was doing. And uh, at the end of the week, they called my name and said I got best camper because I memorized all those scriptures. I missed three days and I still got it. And then every year after that, the, the church camp, I kept getting scholarships to go back to next year and back to next year. I got, I got best camper every year. Not one year did I ever try to get best camper. I didn't care. But each year it happened all the way until my senior year of high school. There I am. And the school that I want to go to, the college I want to go to, has announced they're going to give away a full-ride scholarship to the best camper. So I set out to become the best camper. I always was, so I might as well be this time. And this preacher stood up. And by the way, I didn't get best camper. This preacher, who had been there all week, he'd walked around with his hands in his pockets. He was older than all the other staff. Walked around with his hands in his pockets, just observing. There I was, building the campfire every night. I'll do it. I'll do it. I was volunteering to do everything. I'm going to get best camper. And, and he, he was standing there with his hands in his pockets, you know, just observing. He didn't talk. He just observed. But then the last night, he was the preacher. And he stood up, and as he began to preach, he started with something like this. I've been walking around, wandering around, observing. And, he, and I don't know what else was couched in this, but I heard this pointed at me. He said, some of you are trying to be impressive. Oh, talking to me. It felt like he grabbed me by my shoulders and picked me up out of my seat and shook me a few times and then put me back when he was done. And when he was done, I thought, I don't deserve to be best camper. And I got to tell you, I, I it took a long time to pay for my college. <laughs> but I didn't deserve it. And that man became the most powerful preacher in my mind that I had ever heard. He was very, very respected. Uh, a church up north grabbed him. They, they had to have him. They offered him all these benefits and all this package, and they pulled him away from where he was. He was so successful where he was. And apparently the church wasn't too kind to him. And he went back down to Louisiana, took on another church. And I, I was so looking forward to hearing him preach years later. I heard he was back in Louisiana. Yes, I'm going to get to hear him preach again. And I, and I went to hear him preach, and when I... When I sat there, I could not believe what was happening in front of me. The most powerful preacher that I had ever heard, as he preached, he was moving in extraordinarily effeminate ways. His hands were very close, and he was like, maybe you ought to kind of, just don't get mad at me for saying this, but and I thought, oh my goodness, what has happened to this man? And it was when I saw this, I realized what had happened to me. I had preached, and I had gotten criticized, and I had postured myself. I don't want to be criticized anymore. I don't, I don't want people to question me anymore. I'm afraid. And I had lost my cutting edge. So if you're one who thinks that you can relate, know that I am one who definitely can relate. And there's been more than one. That's just one story. But I want you to see what happens here. This might help you in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 
uh, ch chapter 6, verse 1. Now the sons of the prophet, prophets said to Elisha, See the place where we dwell under your charge. It's too small for us. Let's go to the Jordan. Oh, well, that's a special place to Elisha, isn't it? Let's go to the Jordan, and each of us get there a log, and let us make a place for us to dwell there. And Elisha answered, Go. I don't know what was going on in Elisha's mind, but I can't help but wonder, was he thinking, I can't go to the Jordan. That's going to remind me of losing my mentor. I just can't do it. I don't know. I don't know what he was thinking, but I just can't help but wonder. So he said, just, okay, go do it. Do what you got to do. And look at this. Then one of them said, be pleased to go with your servants. And he answered, I don't know if he did it this way, but I, I just imagine, I'll go. So he complies, and he goes with them. <clears throat> My notes have stuck together. So we move on. So he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. Now, there's a story Washington State might not like. <laughs> but they cut down trees. First thing they did, get to the Jordan River. This is a holy place. Big things have happened right here. Let's cut some trees. Well, they got to build stuff, so they're going to cut the trees. But as one was felling a log, his axe head fell into the water, and he cried out, Alas, my master! He, he calls out to Elisha. Hey, Elisha! It was borrowed! That's worse than just losing your own. See, because the only reason why you're going to borrow somebody else's axe is because you can't afford your own. Why, why didn't you have your own? Because I, I don't, I don't want to buy it. I'm just going to use it this one time, and I don't want to spend money to do that, so I'll just borrow. Well, when you borrow other people's stuff, you have a responsibility to get it back to them in better shape than they gave it to you, or is it at least exactly like they gave it to you. And when your axe head flies off into this Jordan River, how are you going to get it back? I mean, that's a big river. So he's in full-on panic. So now he couldn't afford to buy his own, but now he needs an axe to finish the job. And he couldn't even afford to buy his own, but now he's got to buy one for his neighbor that he borrowed his axe, the axe from. Like, I couldn't afford to buy my own, now I've still got to buy one. I don't know if you've been in that position before. That's not a good position. I knew of a kid. Uh, he was in college. He, uh, his sister said, hey, you know what? Do you know you can go to car lots and you can like just say, hey, I'm interested in that and they will let you drive it? Really? Yeah. But I don't have my driver's license. That's okay. I will ask and then I'll give you the keys and let you drive. So that's what she did. And then he totaled it. Ouch. The axe head's gone into the water. Master! It was borrowed. It's worse than just losing my own. So he goes to Elisha and he seeks Elisha's help. Elisha, look at what happens next. Then the man of God said, where did it fall? You know, about general area, where did you see it go in the water? When he showed him the place, he cut off a stick 
and threw it in there. Now that doesn't make a lot of sense, if you think about it. Okay, I'm gonna cut off a stick. Cut off a stick, throw it in the water. What is he doing? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Maybe you're reminded of times when Jesus did some things, like spit in the mud, put it on this guy's eyes. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But it's what the man of God did. And then it made the iron axe head float. That's not normal. If, I don't know if you've ever been, held an iron axe head. It ain't going to float. But it floated. It's a miracle. And he said, this is what Elisha said, take it up. So he reached out his hand and he picked up the axe head that he had lost. That is the end of that story. And if you just read it on the surface, it looks like, okay, what in the world was the point of that? Well, I'm going to show you some things. I think we can learn from this. Check it out. Regaining my cutting edge. There's seven things I want you to take note of here. First of all, I should take my leader with me. If I'm going to do a task, whatever it may be, it would be wise if I take Jesus with me. I know, I mean, you, you know, Jesus wants to be there with you anyway, but, and you might say, well, Jeff, you know, you're not going to go anywhere without him anyway. Well, I can tell you, as a matter of fact, there have been more than one occasions in my life where I have tried to do things without him. And I fall flat on my face. It would be a good idea. See, because if, imagine the story, if Elisha hadn't been taken with them, the axe head just would have been lost. And the guy would have had to try to figure out a way to replace his neighbor's axe when he didn't have the money for his own. So it's a good idea. Take your leader with you. <clears throat> and second, I have to actively participate in the team's work. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's part of the story you need to pay attention to. Each person needs to build their own place. And they're not just relying on a guy who can raise somebody from the dead to say, hey, can you just like snap your fingers and things happen? Sometimes we kind of expect that with Jesus, don't we? I said a prayer, God. Why didn't you fix it? Hmm. Well, this particular activity required teams working together with their leader there. Third, compounded tragedies can and will occur when you're in the middle sometimes of doing what God wants you to be doing. These things can happen. Obviously, Elisha was fine with them building these things, and, and yet something bad happened right in the middle of it. And it felt very tragic to the one who lost the axe head. It's part of life. But your leader can help you through it. Fourth, my actions can harm more than just me. Too many times we don't think about the collateral damage when we err. Oftentimes, my mistakes hurt more than just me. And this tragedy that happened here could have hurt more than just the guy that lost the axe. It could have hurt anybody else standing nearby because the axe head could have hit him. It could have hurt more than it did, but his master took care of things. Fifth, I will depend on my leader. 
Notice his major response was, Master! First thing, go to his master. When the axe head fell into the water, I'm sure he didn't have any idea what his master was going to do about it, but he went to his master, and his master solved the problem. Six, things don't always make sense. What God might want you to do might not make any sense at all. What God is doing might not make any sense. Maybe you've had those kinds of prayers. God, why are you allowing these things to happen? I don't understand. Maybe you've been having that prayer happen for a long time. Maybe there, I'm, I'm pretty confident there's people in this room that could talk to you and share with you their stories about how they prayed that kind of prayer. God, why is this happening? Why aren't you answering? Why is this dragging out? And then in the end of it all, they learn, aha, God had a perfect plan, and it had to be dragged out. It had, I had to go through all this in order to be where I am now. It's the way it works. It doesn't always make sense to us, but our master knows. And seventh, more actions and effort will be required of me. That's the way it works. So even though, do you think, let me ask you this question, do you think Elisha, since he was capable of having oil just produce all by itself, he was capable of healing a man of leprosy, he was capable of he, oh, I didn't tell you some of the other things that were in, those, in between those uh, verses that I highlighted. He also, in a town that had poisonous water, you couldn't do anything with it. It made, people have, it made women have miscarriages. It killed people. It was very, very dangerous. He healed the water. It was good from that point on. Uh, they had some, uh, some, some soup and, and a pot, and uh, it, somebody tasted it. Oh, that's going to kill people. But he healed that too, and it became good, healthy, nourished them. So a guy that does that, a guy that can raise somebody from the dead, and a guy that can make an, an iron axe head float to the surface of the water, don't you think he could have, as he's doing that, he could have just made that axe head come on up out of the water, fly around a little bit, and land right back on the axe handle? But he didn't. He said, you need to pick that up. He made him reach out and get it. And I'm sure he had to reattach it to the axe handle by himself without the master doing a miracle for him. He made him do the extra work. And that could be expected of you as well. So we'll go back to that passage that I talked about at the beginning. You remember that passage in Matthew chapter 5? Look at that. You see it up behind me. And the second part talks about you are the light of the world. You see, Christians, we are the ones that when nothing else is making sense in the world, because it's just going crazy, which it seems like it's always that, but if, if there's ever been a time for revival again, now is a time in our country. And it, it starts with people like us. It has to. You are the light of the world. You see, what happens is you provide, as Christians, depth of insight perspective. You see, with light, you can see shadows. You can see depth of perspective. You can, you, can, you can have greater insight. I don't know how many times you have stubbed your shin on that piece of furniture, or maybe even broken a toe on that piece of furniture, but it would have been a little bit better if there had been a little bit of light so you could see what you were about to crash into. I don't know if you've been in a cave that has no light and somebody shows you when all lights go off, 
and there's no light at all, you have no concept of where anything is. But a little bit of light, just a small amount of light, provides incredible depth of perspective and insight. And a world can actually, a world that's so lost, they can't see how lost they are. They don't. They feel judged when we enter the room sometimes. When we, we enter the life of somebody, you know, they say, hey, have you seen that show? And you say, mm, we don't. They feel judged. Oh, you're judging me because I just told you I did. Now you're judging me. No, 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 I'm not judging you. I'm just, I'm just uh, we just, we don't want to have that go into our minds. You're judging me. No, I'm not. This, that's what we do. And we get real defensive. I don't know if you noticed that. I I was teaching a Bible study in a group of about twice this size, in a room about this size. And as I was teaching it, I wanted to highlight something. This, this family had told me they don't have TV. I asked them if they had seen something on television. They said, uh, the, the, the dad said, I, I don't, we don't watch TV. We don't have a TV. Oh. And so I was giving a lesson on sacrificing. And you, you see, you, maybe you're one that says, I'm not going to watch TV in my home. I'm not going to judge other people for what they do, but we are not going to do it. So I wanted to talk about that. And I said, so this man and his family, his name was Trey, he, they've decided they're not going to watch TV in their house. And I, I haven't made that decision, but I commend them for they've made that decision. Good for them. That's a good example. And he's very, very, he's sitting on the front row and he's like, stop, 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 don't, don't talk about that. No, 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 no. It's a good thing that your family's decided not to watch TV. It's very good. I mean, you're not judging me that I watch TV, but, and I don't feel that at all. Uh, and by the way, I had said to him when he told me that he didn't have TV before, I said, you don't watch TV? No, we don't have TV. I go, well, I kind of just, I watch the news sometimes, and then there's this one thing. And he said, I didn't ask for your defense. That's what we do, isn't it? We start defending because we're not to their level. So he said, stop, stop talking about it. Stop, stop. And I just kept on building them up and building them up. And after it was over, he wanted to talk to me. He waited. His family was in the car. So he said, I need to talk to you. Okay. And he said, about the TV. I need to tell you the reason why we don't watch TV. Because one day I got mad and I kicked a hole in it. There's nothing spiritual about his decision at all. He kicked a hole in his TV. They didn't have one anymore, so they didn't watch TV. So he wanted, didn't want me bragging on him for his spiritual decision. He said it wasn't spiritual. It was a mistake. <laughs> but you're the light of the world. You provide depth of insight and perspective. And, and you, the world, when, when they come into contact with us, they start learning what they've been tripping over. Because we know. They start seeing a pattern of behavior in our lives. No, we don't have it all perfect. And no, we don't always have peaceful times all the time. But we navigate through it quite well because our Lord is our leader. And that's how they, they see this light. We know where we're going. We know what things trip us up and we know how to avoid them. And we've got, we've got depth of insight. We're the light of the world. And this scripture says, you, you don't hide it. You know the song, right? Hide it under a bushel. No! The problem is, in reality, for some of us, hide it under a bushel, yes. We, we actually make it a giddy, happy thing when we talk to our friends I mean, at work. It's like, you know what? I've known them for 20 years, and I never knew they were a Christian, and they didn't know I was. Okay, then you have a problem with your witness. How do you work with somebody a long time and not know each other are Christians? 
You're, you're not living with that depth of perspective. You're not shining your light. Hiding under a bushel, yes, you are. Everybody who knows you, if they're around you at any length of time, they know because you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. And there was a point in time when you were in that spiritual topic, spiritual high top experience where you're just loving Jesus so much and everybody's got to know what I know. They've got to have this because I have it. What happened? I don't know. And your story is different than everybody else's. You have your own story. But I do know that Jesus wants you to regain your cutting edge. I do know that he's got it ready for you, for you to reach out there and grab it yourself and get it back. Get a handle on it. Maybe we'll start seeing a revival in our lives, in the lives of people around us. I gotta t- I'm going to close with this story. In the wild, wild west, there was an angry man. This man was so angry, he, he actually told his neighbor at, while he was, his neighbor was a little, little slow, older, and disabled, but he had a young boy, and, and he told his neighbor, he goes, you know what, I'm so mad at my neighbor, I'm going to kill him. I know he's at the barber shop. I'm heading there right now. I'm going to go kill him. And so the, the neighbor that's concerned for the, for the other neighbor that's going to get killed, he said, son, I need you to stop everything you're doing. I need you to focus, okay? I need you to run to, in town to the barber. Go into the barber shop, and you've you got to hurry and get there before our other neighbor gets there. Run as hard and as fast as you can, son. Do you understand? Run with everything you've got. You, can you run as hard and as fast as you can? Yes. You've got to warn him that, it, that our other neighbor's so mad at him, he's got to get out of that barbershop. Save his life. You've got to do this. Can you do that, son? Yes. Okay, go. So he sends him, and this boy runs with all of his higher metabolism energy. He takes off running. He's going to go get there and save his neighbor as hard and as fast as he can, but on the way there, he happens to notice there's a bird in a tree. Whoa, there's a bird. So he, being a little boy, he picks up a rock, and he throws it at the bird. And the bird jumped a, a branch. Uh-huh. I'll show him. Picks up another rock, throws it. Missed. Picks up another rock, steadies his aim, and he hits the bird. And, and he goes over to look at the bird. Yep, got him. Picked it up. Blood's dripping down his hands. He goes, oh, my neighbor. So he takes off running. And he, just as he gets to the barbershop and he steps on the steps, he hears this shot ring out. People come running out. One of them says, son, you don't want to go in there. Your neighbor's been killed. Just missed him. As he makes his way back home, his father meets him and says, son, son. Did you do it? Did you run as hard and as fast as you can? Yes, yes, Daddy, I did it. I, I did. I, I ran as hard and as fast as I can. And as he moved his hand, his dad noticed it. And he grabbed his son's hand. He goes, what's that on your hand? Oh, that's blood from a bird. I was, I was running as hard and as fast as I could. And let me tell you, I saw this bird, and I threw some rocks at it. And I got it. I got it. I killed it. And then I ran as hard as fast as I can and, and went to, uh, to warn the neighbor. But I, I didn't make it in time, Dad. And he's holding his son's hand and he says, Son, what's that on your hand? Well, Dad, I told you that's, that's the blood from the bird. No, son. That's the blood of your neighbor. <laughs>